Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning, church. Um, this morning, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 6 through 11. Um, if you don't have your Bible with you, there should be a hardback black Bible uh, in the seat uh, in front of you underneath it. Um, so if you're following along there, we're on page 886. Um, my name is Matt Jones, and my wife Kate and I um, have been members here at the door for the past six years, and um, we have the privilege of serving in the little door. Um, so Romans 5, uh, verse 6 through 11 for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person would dare, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God. Thanks, Matt. Uh, my name is Brad, and I'm the campus pastor here. And I just want to thank you um, for being here at the 1030. Maybe you just don't like getting up early, and that's why you came. But uh, Having the second gathering allows us to have kid volunteers to serve and then come to, to worship. So appreciate you being at this one, uh, even if you're just lazy. Um, so verse 5 really sets up verses 6 through 11. Um, so I'm just going to read that real quick. It, it says that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's love through the Spirit of God has been poured into the hearts of Christ followers, made real, vivified, you could say. It's been made real. God pours his love into our hearts. And then the rest of the, these verses show us what that love is like. And so I, I think it's an important question for us to consider. Is how do you know God loves you? How do you know God loves you? How would you answer that question? There's a few different responses that I, I, I think are pretty common. One would be kind of this working hard to get to heaven mentality, which I, I think in Alan Jackson's song. Um, but it's like this sense of I, I do these things. I, I read my Bible sometimes or I, I, I pray sometimes and... I, I go to church and I give some money and I, I'm trying, like God, I think God loves me because I think I'm maybe doing enough. I think I'm maybe meeting the standard or I'm at least trying to. Another answer would be, and this is pretty common here in Argyle, it's like, I'm okay, we're okay. So it's like, hey, we're the people of God. We're, we're good families. We're, you know, church folk, whatever. I'm okay, we're Okay. I grew up in church maybe, so I've been around the church. I, I'm, I'm proximate to the church. You're physically in the church this morning. It's like the I'm okay, we're okay. There's like this pride of like, yeah, we're, we're good. We're God's people. The people out there are bad. People in here are good. 
Or you might just say, I, I don't know that God loves me. I don't know if God loves me. I have no idea. And so the first one would be really trying to earn assurance of your salvation, assurance of God's love. The second would be the prideful assumption that you've got it, I'm good to go. The third would just be just fragile assurance, like I, I, don't, I don't know if God loves me. And I would say that all of these are wrong. Absolutely, categorically wrong. Because they're based upon you. They're based upon your effort or your failure or your inclusion in some community instead of based on what Jesus has done. And I think God has, through his text, some, some blessed assurance for us this morning to be assured of the love of God, to be certain of it. You see, our assurance is not based on anything we do or a community that we're included in or, or even our, our, our exclusion based on our failures, but upon the accomplishments of Christ. It's on what he has done. It's on the gospel benefits. And, and so what, what we need to do if we want to have assurance is to take hold of the gospel benefits, to take hold of what Christ has done, to begin to live by them, for them to become real to us. Not mere theological facts, not just things we can recite, but actual realities that drive our life. There's two realities, two theological words in our text, justification and reconciliation. Justification and reconciliation, and they are individually beautiful. They are connected, but they are distinct. Justification and reconciliation. And so verse 5, the reason I read it is it really, that waterfall of God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit sets up verses 6 through 11, which explains this is what God's love is like. So verse 6 through 9, you see justification. Verse 10 you, and, and verse 11, but really verse 10, you see reconciliation. And then verse 11, you see the overflow of experiencing that, which is rejoicing. So justification means you are made right with God. That's like the basic definition, being made right with God. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, that is not believing hard enough that God would love you. Faith, in the Christian sense, in the biblical sense, is trusting the work of Christ on your behalf. Trusting that his work is enough. And so it's not in the strength of your trusting or on the magnitude of your reliance, but it's upon the work of Christ. So justification comes through faith, through trusting in what Jesus has done. Because we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification yields peace. The fruit of justification is peace. And so this is a legal term. It means your status has changed. Your status between you and God, from enemy to son to daughter through Christ. So your status has changed. And this status is not provisionally changed. 
So it's not like you're justified, but don't mess up again. It's not like our court system. If you get a speeding ticket and you go in and you pay that thing and you're done with it, or you do defensive driving, whatever it is, you're good with the law. Don't speed again. You'll be convicted again, and this will happen until at some point you wind up in jail. Justification is not like that. Justification is is permanent. It is irrevocable. And it's not just as canceled. It's not like the justice of God, the right wrath of God toward sin, which is what sin deserves. The wages of sin is death. The trial was not canceled. It was not a mistrial to where, where it was just thrown out and so no longer is there justice. It's okay, you're good. God is a God of justice. The trial was not thrown out. There was sentencing. There was judgment. And there was justice perfected. You see, Jesus, if you're in Christ, died in your place. The sentencing fell on him. The wrath of God the right indignation of God against sin fell on Christ. The sentence was carried out. He absorbed that wrath. He took the separation, the alienation, the irreconciliation in place of sinners. And so now if you're in him, you are guilty but declared innocent. The Father sees you as blameless. This was not, if you know your, your, your accounting, this was not a journal entry. This was not like, like the Father just said, okay, because of the work of Christ, we just wiped that sin out. You know, I put Brad's sin on Jesus. We're good to go. Let's, let's rock and roll. It was not a mere journal entry. It was not administrative. Verse 9 says, we have been justified by his blood. Jesus bled for your justification. There was a cross, a humiliating and painful and awful reality. He bled for your justification. There is an incredibly high cost of being made right with God. And there are incredibly high stakes because he bore the wrath of God. You do not want to bear the wrath of God. So what is the fruit of justification? It's, it's peace with God. But, but you might ask this if you've been here for a while. Why are we always talking about justification? Why is it every week I come back and you're talking about justification again? You're, you're talking about being made right with God again. Well, we have a good excuse because Paul talks about it a lot in the beginning of Romans, but it's everything. Christianity is not a, a graduation where you're like a grace graduate, where it's like, cool, I'm made right with God. Now I need life application. Fix my marriage. Fix my money. Fix my personality problems. Fix my indwelling sin because, yeah, I'm justified. I know, I know, I'm fine. The Christian life is taking hold of that justification. It's living in light of that justification. It's being reminded of that justification because if you take hold of this, if you meditate and live by what Christ has done, it transforms you. 
Because often our dysfunctions are the result of either not being justified or forgetting our justification or downplaying it. The fruit of justification is, is a beautifying of your, your character into Christ-likeness. You see, it will humble you if you're proud. If you see what Christ has done, you see the cost. God had to die for your sin. An arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. That cannot be. It cannot be that we would say we're the good people, the bad people are out there. It's like we're saying we're the bad people. The cross says you're the bad person. There's no pride in following Christ, but also it lifts the crushed. Those of us that have absolutely humiliated ourselves, ruined our lives, embarrassed ourselves by our sin. Those of us that have done things, said things, thought things, wanted things, that we know are wicked. The, the, the doctrine of justification says you are made right with God if you're in Christ. You are not filthy and excluded. You are not still an enemy. If you are in Christ, you are made right with God. And we need this certainty of forgiveness, those of us that realize that we're a wretch. If you think forgiveness is like, that's nice, or if you think that, that maybe the cross was a really magnificent thing, but, but you've not been personally humbled by the magnitude of your sin, you will not be overcome by forgiveness. We need certainty of it certainty of peace with God if we're going to live a life of peace. If we're going to live a life where we're not terrified of what our sin will bring because we know. We know. Justification is being made right, but, but reconciliation is being made His. So not only are we made right, but we are made gods. And so this is not a truce, not a, a mere treaty, not just a ceasefire. If you know your history, in 1914, there was the Christmas truce in World War I. The Germans are fighting uh, the British, and they're in trenches, and it was awful. Just horrendous brutal warfare. And so on Christmas, there, there's no man's land between the trenches, and they normally, all they do is just shoot at each other, back and forth. Well, the Germans begin singing Christmas carols. The Brits begin to hear that, and they're like, what are they doing? And then through broken English, the Brits hear the Germans say, come over here. So they're like, is this a trap? What's up? They begin to come out of the trenches slowly, skeptically, and they begin to walk into the center. And both parties did this, and they actually met. 
And they actually drank wine together and smoked cigarettes and joked and laughed and played soccer, football to them. They had a truce and it was beautiful. What a beautiful moment in history. What a cool story. Well, a few days later, they're back in their trenches. The enmity is back and they're fighting again. You see, the reconciliation with God is not just this this truce. It's a relationship. In three times, verse 10 and 11, you see this word of, of reconciliation. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Emphasis. Paul is saying something. The Spirit of God is saying something. That reconciliation is beautiful and it matters. Pay attention to this. Because justification is exoneration, but reconciliation is relationship. Status changed, but also hearts changed. To where God's attitude toward you is not begrudging forgiveness or reluctant love. He's not sitting back and waiting on you to mess up again and again and again and again. but the relationship has been repaired such that God is not just a kind judge who lets you off. Though he is, he is merciful and gracious. Through Christ, he is your father. Through the blood of Christ, Jesus is your brother. And the Holy Spirit makes this reality come alive to us. So what is a relationship? What does that mean, have a relationship with God? Well, in a relationship, there's mutual affection. There's love both ways. And I want you to hear this. You you don't conjure up your love for God or muster it up. It says in the scriptures, we love because he first loved us. We respond the love of God. We respond to the affection of God. Loving God is a response to his love, and so there is mutual affection. There is God saying, I love you, and you melting in that love and saying, yes, God, I love you. He goes first. There's communication in relationships. There's back and forth dialogue. We have the word of God. We commune with God through prayer. There's dialogue. Communication. People say, you know, I'll send up a prayer for you. That's not prayer. It's dialogue with God. He hears you. If you're in Christ, he hears you like his child. Those of you that have children, if your child communicates a need to you, daddy, mommy, I need whatever, do you listen? You pray God hears you if you're in Christ as a father. In relationships, we have shared goals, right? We're we're aimed at the same thing. 
If you're in Christ, the glory of God is your goal. The good of his people is your goal. Showing grace and mercy toward sinners like you is a goal. Caring for the least of these is a goal. There's alignment with God. Relationships have time together. There's duration. We should not mourn our birthdays. Like you're 40 and you're like, oh, no, I'm over the hill. And you're 50 and you're like, oh, it's getting closer, 60. It's like, why do we do that? If we're in Christ, we should celebrate that. It's not like the end is coming. Like, uh. It's like something better is coming. Who cares if you're old? Praise God that you're old. Gray hair is a crown of glory. Receding hairlines, a crown of glory. It's good. It's beautiful. There's safety in relationships. Those of you with, with marriage problems, it's a safety issue. It's a trust issue. Broken friendships, trust issue. In Christ, we have utter safety with God. You are absolutely safe in his presence. Jesus ushers you in to that safety. And so I find it easier to take hold of my justification than my reconciliation. I find it easier, and I, I do. I rest in my, my justification a lot because I am a sinful idiot, and I constantly sin. There's things that come out of me that I hate, and I constantly have to confess, and I constantly have to repent, and I have to be reminded I am made right with God through the blood of Christ. And so I rest in this. It gives me comfort But as I was studying this text this week, it was such a gift because I began thinking of of reconciliation, not just justification. Now, we don't graduate, but yes, reconciliation, that I am not only innocent, but that I am adored, that the smile of God is upon me. And some of us need to take hold of that this morning. Some of us are are self-righteous people. And we don't see the chasm that Jesus crossed. We don't see what the big deal is. And so you're like, why are you so passionate about this? It's because you don't see your sin. It's not that these sins of humanity create a chasm between God and humanity. Yes, that's true. Let's personalize this. It is your sin. It creates a chasm between you and God, and you must see it. There's this illustration that we see in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. It'll be on the screen. There's a rich man who was clothed in purple. That's like nice clothes, like Louis Vuitton, and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate, so this dude has apparently a palace or something. He's got a gate. There's a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. He just wanted scraps. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, dogs were not like children back then. They were gross. They were nasty. 
Dogs licking your sores is not a good thing. Lowest of the low. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. The rich man is like the I'm okay, we're okay guy. He's like, I've died and I should be in heaven with you, God. Right now I'm in torment. Would you get that dude to come serve me because my tongue is hot? I should be served. I'm in. I'm good. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Reconciliation is not beautiful if you do not see the chasm, if you do not see the miracle, if you do not see the distance. Jesus crosses the chasm. You also may be in a season of suffering. And if you're not, you will be. Or you bear the scars of it. And so you may have have an issue with, with apprehending putting on this reconciliation because you're like, I'm in pain. Where is God in this pain? I'm distracted by my pain. God means to comfort you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is greeting the Corinthians and he is reminding them of the God of all comfort. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, when you become a Christ follower, you share in his sufferings. Your life doesn't just click into this place of of the absence of suffering. You see, suffering is part of the process of becoming more like Christ. As we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If you understand reconciliation, that you are not only made right with God, but you are made his, you will realize that your suffering is not arbitrary. That God is not just randomly afflicting you with things to see how you squirm, but that he means to comfort you. He means to walk with you in the suffering for healing and for your joy and even for your transformation. And some of you 
who are doubters, wanderers, prodigal sons, prodigal daughters, and you're like, I don't know if God loves me at all, or maybe, I think maybe he did before. I think before all this, I want you to take the medicine of Romans 8. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, you don't need to be afraid of death if you're in Christ. Death doesn't separate you from Jesus. Nor angels, nor rulers, the spiritual forces of darkness are no match for the love of Christ. Nor things present, nor things to come. You don't need to fear the future. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth. It doesn't matter the magnitude of your sin, the magnitude of your suffering, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus if he is your Lord. It never depended on you. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, it never depended on you. And it still doesn't depend on you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You see, Jesus did everything. Look at our text. Verse 9, how are we justified? By his blood. Verse 9, who are we saved by? By him. Verse 10, how are we reconciled through his death? Verse 10, in addition to his death, what are we saved by? His life. Verse 11, who do we rejoice through? Jesus. Verse 11, through whom have we received reconciliation? Through Christ. And verse 10 says not only that we are saved by his death, but we are saved by his life. Jesus is alive. The cross was not the end for him. And he is presently interceding for you, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not a historical event that we find comfort in, but a present reality that we find life in. We find life in his life. Hebrews 7 says this, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, no matter how big the chasm, and it's real big. Those who draw near to God through him, you see, Jesus ushers us in to reconciliation since he always lives, present tense, lives to make intercession for them. Jesus intercedes for you. He's not done. And Jesus prays for you. In John 17, I want you to just hear this. These are the words of Christ. Praying to the Father on your behalf. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. That would include you, friend. 
me, friend, if you believe through their word, that they all may be one, perfectly unified in Christ. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Do you see this unity, this relationship, so that the world may believe that you've sent me? The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Jesus longs to have you near, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. A righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus longs to share the love of the Father with you. To create a perfect unity of abiding love, of reconciled love that nothing can ruin. In verse 11 There's the response, and it is this, we rejoice. We rejoice at the reality when the reconciliation of God becomes real and we realize I am not only made right with God, and that's very important, I am made God's. And his smile is upon me. His affection is upon me. His presence is with me. My life is not an arbitrary, random mutation of events. But it is a story being told by a good and perfect God who cares for me and will glorify himself through me and work all things together for me. you've ever seen a team win a championship, Super Bowl, NBA Finals, whatever it may be, the players just, they jump around and they like, you don't know what to do. You know, it's kind of awkward. You're like, who do I high five? Who do I hug? Do I cry? Oh no, I'm crying. Like there's just this expressed exuberance. That's what rejoicing is. We rejoice. We get stirred up in this beauty, in this oneness in this life in Christ. So now what? I read in my my Bible reading this morning, this line that the life of Jesus would be manifest in our bodies. That the risen Lord would be manifest in our bodies. That we would actually live life by Christ, through Christ, in Christ, because of Christ with the hope of Christ. Jesus would be manifest. So I would just invite you, encourage you, plead with you, 
to take hold of your reconciliation. Even this week as you begin to, to pray, if you're a praying person, if you're not, just so you know, through Christ you can pray and you don't, there's not a script for that. Open the gift of your reconciliation through prayer. Talk to God about it. Reflect on it. Meditate on it. That you are not only made right with God, but you are made His. So you can rejoice. You can have blessed assurance that God loves you and is for you. Only through Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of reconciliation. Jesus, we know it was not a journal entry. It was not just the sweep of a hand. But Jesus, your blood was spilled for our justification. That though once enemies, we can be made right with God. We can be paid for. Our status can be changed permanently. Thank you, Jesus, for our justification. And Jesus, thank you that you bled not only for our justification, but also for our reconciliation, that we could be yours. That we could participate in, experience the oneness that you have with the Father and that, Holy Spirit, you would make this real to us, this relationship warm and alive to us. Lord, for those of us that are self-righteous and do not see the chasm, show us our sins so that we may see your grace. For those of us that are suffering, and we may be surrounded by other people, but we feel very alone, Lord, remind us of your comfort, the comfort of Christ. Lord, for those of us who are doubters, who, who question, there's no way that you could love us. May we repent of thinking that it has to do with us and receive the rest of knowing that the work is finished by Christ and that nothing can separate us from your love, nothing. And that we do not stand separate from you now Lord, thank you for refreshing us with hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.